Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elchison. With me, as always, is my co-host, Adam Simon. And on this episode, we are breaking down the second half of our annual trend report, The Outlook 2021. But before we get to that, there is just some really hot, relevant news in the market today uh, about a little company called GameStop. If you aren't aware of what's going on with GameStop and the community on Reddit called Wall Street Bets, we'll put a link in the show notes that will uh, give you a full backgrounder on what is going on there and how we got to uh, GameStop being worth four hundred and twenty dollars at market open today. So if you've been following this story at all, which probably most of you have been, it's been an absolutely insane ride. And at the lab, we've been talking about the power of communities and these ideas of connecting to communities for a very long time. And I think this is one of the most recent and biggest examples of just that, a digital online community getting together uh, for a common cause. Now, some people are calling this crowdsourced market manipulation. But I don't know if that properly frames the story here. To me, it seems more like a community banded together to take on the big guy. It's classic David and Goliath conversation here. Right. It's it's yeah. It's it's less about this specific thing, which I think the vast majority of of Americans would support this activity. It's yeah. more about just like how you can then channel similar energies into more nefarious things that people don't support, True. like overthrowing the government yeah. or yep. making yeah. tons of money. You know, again, leverage being leveraged by like Russian hackers to make a ton of money for Russia. Like that wouldn't be great. That's what um oh that's what Alex Danko said. He was like like the like the ex Facebook security officer on Twitter. Um, oh, I just blanked on on what he said, but it was an interesting point about he's like okay, so here's a way in which you know different groups, whether good or bad, can find a way to get funding now if they can pile together and you know move a market then there is potential with everything there's a potential downside to that for them to get funding so that was i thought that was a very interesting point like because taking it you know largely you know outside of just this idea of um a community like buying a stock it's like there are some probably larger implications that we have seen that can be used for for the forces of evil (laughs) compared to good or whatever that or whatever like like that distinction might be um so that 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 is interesting what those again those unintended consequences might be yeah and it's just like everything else it's amoral it doesn't have um or it doesn't have it it can be used positively or negatively um Mm -hmm. and it's just Mm -hmm. there's just nothing nothing (laughs) you can't you can't (laughs) do it's it's going to be that's why it's going to be very hard to regulate that behavior although like this morning as somebody pointed out, this this actually might be market manipulation. Robinhood stopped people from buying a buying GameStop, which yeah, mm. you can't do that. They just tanked their whole business. That mm. just really seems illegal to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's there's no way. It's like if you're going to be a trading platform, you can't stop a trading of a security because you feel that it's you know like that we're protecting like the retail. Right, that's what the right. SEC is for, right? And they did it. Right. They halted trading of GameStop like nine times. But like you, ha- it, I would be shocked if there's not a huge lawsuit against. Oh, huge lawsuit! I think they just lost all consumer trust. I loved Alex Lieberman's tweet about this. He's like, "This is a, a textbook case study of how to completely lose a reputational in a in a brand in 24 hours." He's like, "Robinhood was 
you know, completely for the retail investors and empowering the retail investors. And overnight, they completely switched to big corporation and were against retail investors. And it's like, you've just broken your brand. Like, you can't come back from that. And to your point, like, that is blatant market manipulation. Like, I don't know what else that could be. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, it's, so. um, yeah, it's just shocking that, like, I don't know how they came to that decision because it just seems so, such, like, such a bad idea. Like, just do what everybody else is doing and you're a neutral player and no one cares. Right. And, and you're part of the story because a lot of these guys were using Robinhood, right? Like, right. Yeah. We were getting, like, good, I think, popular like populous brand implications from this but right. like uh, this is the thing about robin hood though is like like we were talking about yesterday their business model even though their consumer face and their brand is very empowering individual investors their business model is really about using those indiv- individual investors to power to empower large Data. <laughs> to empower like large institutional investors like that's what their business is based on and it's smart and it's fine and you mm-hmm. know like i think not enough people know that that's how they make their money. But I think even if they did, not enough people would care, really. Not enough of their customers would care. Um, mm-hmm. But in this case, it's just like, ooh. It's, yeah, that is some murky, murky water. Um, and that's, I mean, it's super interesting because now, you know, I'm I'm reading Twitter and I'm just seeing all of these conversations about, you know, here we are where <laughs> this idea of decentralized finance is now a mainstream conversation. And the ability of like leveling the playing field and really having like a free market, it's like, you know, the future of finance just based off of this conversation and how we see different entities in the financial system play has you know essentially it's out there for everybody to see it's like this is how it works it's like okay <laughs> so the future of finance going forward is going to be decentralized uh to kind of bring you know essentially like an even playing field to both wall street and and retail investors and i think this adam this little preamble we have going here really does uh set the stage for our last two outlook trends that we, that we want to talk about on uh <laughs> this this week's episode so adam what is the splinter net yeah so the uh the big idea is that um because of mostly because of um government regulation and how that's going to vary in different parts of the world as uh, platforms and services online start to be scrutinized or or have been more scrutinized by governments. Uh, But it's not the only reason, but one of the major driving reasons is is regulation. Um, That the platforms and services that people use around the internet are around the world on the internet are going to start to diverge. Um, And, you know, the internet has never really been one thing, even though that's how it was architected and that's how it was meant, what it was meant to be, uh, because of China. China has always had a separate ecosystem because very early in the internet adoption, they, you know, walled themselves off and uh, sort of fostered local alternatives to things uh, like, you know, Google and Amazon uh, and, uh, and, and Facebook. And so, so, you know, in most of the rest of the world, it's the Fang companies, it's the bat companies in China. um, And uh, I, I think that Increasingly, we're starting to see more fractures and more part, more regions and more countries start to break off from that. So Europe and the U.S. will probably look pretty similar. Probably still, you know, those fang companies mostly, but um, regulation might look different. So your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed or your Google search results might look dramatically different if you were in New York or in uh, Paris, and uh, because of how regulation might shape those those products, it's probably less about the platforms and more about the products in that case. What do you mean? by platforms versus 
products per, per se. They're, they're not going to shut down Facebook in Europe, right? And, and uh, so, so it's, it's less about which platforms people are going to be using and how those products might behave, which might uh, be different. In Southeast Asia and Africa, they're probably going to be part of the, the China ecosystem. China is trying to, um, to recruit them in sort of inside the Great Firewall. And they're doing that with a lot of, especially in, in, in Africa, with a lot of infrastructure. The exchange for, you know, China sort of giving them very good prices or in some cases for even free infrastructure is that they're um, going to be running on the, these bat uh, companies probably more, more likely and, and less, uh, less part of the, the FANG ecosystem. From like an Africa, so like Africa as like, you know, like a continent, the technology and infrastructure like that they're getting from China is like, do you think that they're going to actually still have like the same restrictions that are going to be inside of China's like firewall, like no access to Google and those and those products? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think it's more likely to be more open. Um, I think that at least in the short term, uh, you know, because the restrictions on, on that has have to come from the government. I don't think that I think I, I basically I think there's going to be holes punched in the the quote unquote great firewall um, that allow them access to those Chinese services. But I don't know that they, the government would have to sort of mandate that other things uh, that the fang companies stay out. And a lot of the fang companies are making plays there already too. I think it's already, I think it's basically a little late to be saying, you know, keep out Facebook, Google, Amazon. Africa might actually be where there's the, the, the biggest mix of, of the ecosystems uh, over time. Seeing as we're talking about China and the global nature of the Splinter Net, I want to bring on Richard Yao, who is the silent producer behind Floor 9, as well as uh, part of the strategy team here at the lab to get his thoughts on this trend. So, Richard, welcome to Floor 9. Well, two things here I would like just to add my two thoughts in here. What the Chinese government is pushing is really the idea of digital sovereignty, that mm-hmm. every country should be able to own their digital domain, their own corner of the internet, and do what they, whatever they want with it, as mm-hmm. opposed to the kind of more open, world, worldwide wide philosophy that, you know, the internet was funded on. Right. So the government is unlikely to get people to, like, just switch off and get on to Chinese platform, per se. but because the Chinese uh, investors are building the infrastructure, including some of the telecommunication digital infrastructure there, they are more likely, and some of the countries are doing a little bit authoritarian in terms of the political ideology. So mm-hmm. they're more likely to adopt the Chinese um, approach towards internet regulation. The, the one they already got in and got big, it might be difficult to just by them also right. India India banning TikTok is still a prime example there. Like if a government want to do it, if it has a cause, it could do it. And mm-hmm. we have certainly see countries switch off their social media access during elections. And India, we didn't really even touch on India yet. India is I, I think the evidence points to the fact that they are, you know, r- rapidly developing economy huge number of people, um, a huge population, that they are probably going to develop a, an, an online ecosystem that looks more like China, but that it's going to be not necessarily homegrown solutions, at least in the short term, although there are some interesting homegrown companies there that are making waves. Um, but it, it will be very selective on a service-by-service basis. They'll just 
shut somebody off. So um, I think that I think that so, at some point they will use that to uh, once there are sort of local alternatives that are are good enough that they will use that to probably boost bolster uh, local alternatives. India is a, a little different also because they do have a major uh, tech sector, a, a really good tech sector already. So I think part of it is also that like national pride and nationalism that is just going to naturally drive people to local solutions when they are uh, they are good. And it, we're seeing a sort of a similar dynamic happen in Latin America, where they have uh, there are some some you know major tech companies like the e-commerce giant uh, Mercado Libre who people just naturally prefer because it culturally, you know, whether it's a, I think it's a mix of, I think it's a mix of nationalism or I guess regionalism in the case of Latin America, but also uh, culture. It's just like this company understands me and knows how to market to me better because they're, you know, run by locals. Um, so a differentiating factor and a competitive factor is, you know, if you can build a, a, a local competitor that is, you know, more tailored to an audience, like that's awesome. Like, you know, that's like, and I, I think, I think what we're going to see is over the next decade, a lot of this stuff will start to drift away and towards those local, uh, you know, more or regional players. Um, and then the pendulum will swing back the other way, right? And things will start to go more global again. And be, that will be because we will now have sort of built up <laughs> through restriction. We <laughs> A lot of regions will have built up their local players to be at a similar level to these, uh, you know, American companies that have basically been dominating the internet since the beginning. Um, so I think, Long term, in the short term, this seems very sort of bleak that things are drifting apart. It's going to be much more complicated for global brands to really figure out how to activate because we're going to be using different platforms with different different behaviors and stuff. But in the long term, it's good because it just means more competition. Right. I think it's interesting because while maybe for global strategy and global brands, activating becomes more difficult because you have to pull from different you know companies or solution providers to do what you used to do all through one big platform like a Facebook. The end result is a probably a better ad experience or a better brand experience because to the point we we're talking about earlier, you know you're now working with a platform that is like rooted in the culture in the country or you know environment that you're looking to advertise in. And I, I always feel like those platforms, those solutions just give a better overall experience and the consumers are more likely to be receptive to your advertising. So in the short term, to your point, you know, it might be more effort because it's going to start to be fragmented. But the end result, I think, is going to be a higher quality you know, overall experience for everyone, which is a, probably an, a net positive. Yeah, it's, it's interesting timing in that the industry has been moving more towards sort of global control and, and 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 it has traditionally been run very regionally because this this splinternet sounds dramatic it's a, it's a new problem for the internet but uh, it is not a new problem for for things like television and print right obviously those were always run very locally so uh, so I we went towards this consolidation now we're in a period of of drifting towards that localization and I, like I said again I think 10 years from now we'll be talking about consolidation again and, and, and global strategies. And it's not just a platform that, you know, advertising need to be worrying about. In terms of data regulation and privacy, different culture has a very different approach to it and it's going to cause some splinter around how we get the data, how we be able to use data across markets. And just to circle back on this whole Wall Street bashing, what mm -hmm. it might trigger is a renewed scrutiny over Section 230 and about, you know, platform's responsibility in terms of uh, free speech and the content posted on there. 
uh, even before the talking happened, the U.S. and the EU tend to have different approach towards yep. speech and data privacy. And monopoly, yep. of course. Um, so all this will come into play as the internet continues to fracture over the next decade. Yeah, and I think the the thing that will change that will push it in the other direction is governments becoming more digital, laws becoming more digital and flex and flexible and changeable, and those are the kinds of things that are in that that second wave of of uh, software eating the world that we we talked about. Um, that that while the stuff that's already online is going to get more like game like and and three dimensional and immersive, we are the the rest of those industries like government and regulation and and uh, is going to get more more digital um which i think means that it changes faster and i think that's what's going to eventually enable this the 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 pendulum going in the other other direction from this i do want to kind of just start the transition here so what about any counterexamples particularly with tiktok yeah so tiktok is the interesting case um as richard mentioned uh it, it is currently banned in india um it was uh almost banned in the us but escapes that fate um as we know um and i think you know tiktok because it came out of china it is right now the one app that i i think india is the only country that has it banned there might be one or two smaller countries also but um it, it mostly can reach everybody globally. It's technically a different app inside of China. It's Dalian, which, but they share a lot of the same infrastructure. Um, I, I don't think content necessarily crosses in and out of China, um, but um, it, it could theoretically, some of it could, it could at least cross out. Um, so I, I think it's an interesting example of uh, an app that again, you know, is only a few years old at this point and came out, you know, rose very quickly uh, in popularity. I think the, the big question will be, will we ever see China let something into China that comes from outside? That's the big question. Would they let, for example, I think a good question. If there was a Chinese aligned uh, country in Southeast Asia or Africa who developed a social media app like TikTok that was starting to gain popularity, would they be more likely to allow that inside of China? Well, I think this is a good segue uh, into our final bit of conversation here on our fourth trend, which is the reinvention of social contents. Yeah. So we, uh, the idea here, the big idea is that um, consumers have been moving away from more public, more mass uh, social media postings onto the main feeds of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and more into smaller group conversations, private conversations. We know this has been happening for a while. And I think what we're starting to see is uh, that we're starting to brands are starting to catch up to this. And the idea here is really that brands are going to be able to start reaching consumers inside these smaller groups, not necessarily the private chats, uh, at least not yet. I think eventually there's some opportunity there, but more in the, these smaller group conversations. And it's less about targeting using data to track a specific person across these different, um, these different contexts and more about contextual targeting in, in that um, we know this group is uh, for, you know, dog owners in Brooklyn, and we we want to reach dog owners in Brooklyn. You don't have to know the individuals who are in that group. You just know that those are people who are interested in that. It's very it's very similar to how we used to think about contextual targeting with like primetime television or magazines. Um, but now on the internet, we can really do it at scale, and we don't have to know, for example, that there is a uh, a subreddit that is uh, focused on dog owners in Brooklyn um, because we can programmatically discover 
discover that information and make sure that our content is appearing alongside that, that, uh, in that context. Um, so it's really a, a swing back a little bit from individual micro targeting and towards contextual targeting, but using all of the modern tools that we have digitally. Um, and uh, it's good timing because it's also coming along with uh, all this, uh, you know, increased scrutiny around consumer privacy online and data collection online. So this is giving us a way to continue to target without crossing those lines that haven't even really been drawn yet. Yes, I know we have GDPR and CCPA, um, but those lines are going to continue to be renegotiated and redrawn. So uh, I think this is a a way to uh, avoid that entire problem, basically. Right. You know, it's one of those levers that a brand can pull for, again, like a competitive advantage on like a perception uh, scale with their consumers. You know, we know that this conversation around privacy and data collection is something that is now a mainstream conversation. And there's an option to be on either side of it, right? You can either kind of like support that and be openly outward with that and kind of have that uh, built into your brand messaging. For example, um, I signed up for a new internet service called Starry Internet. And they were very transparent about their policy about net neutrality, uh, how they collect data, they don't collect data, and their pricing. And so like they brought all this to the forefront. I have to say they have some great branding, very D2C-esque branding. Um, and they're a brand new internet service provider that is bringing 5G internet to you know different cities around the US right now. And it was fantastic. It was refreshing. Um, and for me, like part of it was just saying that, like you know, them standing up for net neutrality and their data collection policy. I was like, this is exactly what I want in my life. Plus, their product was fantastic. So, shout out to Starry Internet. Um, but that's just you know a case study of one. But I think it's going to be something that, that we're going to see more and more uh, from from brands when it comes to how they approach their audiences. Yeah, I think the other trend that is relevant here is consumers are increasingly interested in supporting brands that uh, align with their values, um, and whether that be uh, sustainability and 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 taking action against climate change, or uh, you know, social equity and you know, Black Lives Matter, or whatever your 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 social and cultural issues that that matter to you are. We know that consumers are really interested in patronizing brands that support that. And this gives brands a way to, uh, to show up in those contexts, right? Where um, we don't, obviously, it, it's great if a brand enacts those values. And I think that's what a lot of consumers are looking for. But there's also a way to sort of test, do I align with this uh, value? And do, will consumers see resonance there um, by placing, by by showing up in those contexts? And I think the brands that have the most trust from consumers and the consumers are the most, uh, see the most uh, aligned with their values, they're going to be able to increasingly get deeper and deeper into those more and more intimate, intimate social spaces online. Um, and, uh, that I think is the the trend that we're going to see developing over the next you know five years or so is that the brands that consumers really trust and that really align with their values are going to again get get into those super intimate spaces and have more access than any brand has ever had before. So even though we're talking on one hand about this is a a way to counterbalance the the pushback against data privacy, if you're really strategic about it as a brand, you. Um, will be able that your your champion consumers uh, will allow you into more intimate spaces. 
Right. And that's, I think, uh, like an underlying theme here, just like, you know, how consumers are, are getting their, their information from these communities is that it's switching away from big brands or big names and focusing on individuals and creators and, you know, a single person, which I think is super interesting. So it's thinking about, you know, how is this dynamic changing of, you know, us and how we consume that information. And so like, it's super fragmented how we are now getting our information. Uh, but it's a uh, you know, but it's like more personal, it's more intimate. uh, And I think it's like those channels just have a lot of value. And there are going to be a lot of ways to think about how to crack those uh, in ways that aren't, you know, overly branded and kind of disruptive to that community. And I want to be I want to be clear, we're not saying that the main feeds of like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram are going away, correct? They're just going to they're just being used differently. And I think it's best to think about them as they're like your out of home, right? They're the big, they're what you're seeing when you're walking down time, walking into Times Square. Um, it's, it's, it's not where, even if you're able to target consumers more than you obviously can with something like out of home, it's, it's not where you're going to reach them in really intimate contexts and have more meaningful conversations with them. It's where you're going to blast your big, big brand messages. Um, and that's still okay. And it's still useful. Um, th- those platforms are increasingly going to be, you know, they, we, they are where consumers find news. They're still going to be where they, you know, connect and, and, sh- and share with sort of their larger community. It's just that more consumers have realized that, uh, you don't always want to be in public. And that's basically what those big feeds are, right? Um, so it's, it's increasingly about how do I have, uh, dinner parties with different groups of friends to uh, to talk about different topics is is really where uh, they're spending more and more of their time and less out in public. So this is really building on a trend of people starting to really use social media to build meaningful connections. I think mm-hmm. we've gone through this like first stage of social media where everybody is looking for expanding their social circle online sort of, but now we're turning back into this how do I build more intimate, um, personal connections with the people who I care about? And also, mm-hmm. let them just have to be people you know in real life, of course, right? right? But it is easier to maintain the social context in a smaller group without losing control when you're pushing to a giant crowd online. So mm-hmm. I think that's the difference there. And recently, we have seen reports of... Uh, Facebook is trying to pivot their product towards more group-oriented offering. In their leaked memo, their um, product manager, I believe, or one mm-hmm. of the product lead, specifically called on its developer to start thinking of features that can actually help people build on smaller groups to foster meaningful connections. And this is the same thing for brands, right? You have to build a very personal connection with your customer to earn their trust, to be able to stay in their life and become part of their lifestyle. Absolutely. The power of community is going to be, I think, a trend within the this idea of reimagining social context that is going to like define, you know, like these next five to 10 years. Um, it was interesting on Twitter yesterday. I was following Alex Ohanan, who is the former founder and CEO of Reddit. Uh, and he was just talking about how he has a new thesis out there that is the cross section of community and capital. Uh, and this idea that, you know, if you're a brand, there's a lot of power in these communities. And through that, there are ways to, you know, 
access capital, which could be, you know, you're buying your products, you know, raising funds, whatever it is. But, you know, part of the way in is essentially to kind of let control a little bit of your brand messaging, you know, have the community help shape what that brand offering might be or their perception of it. Uh, And he has a great TED talk about it where uh, this um, Greenpeace organization uh, is trying to name a whale to put, you know, some character or emotion behind essentially the crisis that was whaling uh, and the Reddit community named the whale Mr. Splashy Pants. And it turned out to be a huge success over, you know, some of the more defined proper names that the brand was going for. Um, But because they kind of like let loose uh, and gave some of the, you know, influence to this community, uh, it was an absolute total success. Um, And Mr. Splashy and Mr. And Mr. Splashy Pants was was saved. Um, So great great ted talk uh we'll put that in the show notes for everybody to kind of listen to it's only four minutes um but i think it's pretty interesting to think about does that mean eventually every customer or i guess the customer that care deeply enough become an activist shareholder (laughs) the idea that i'm gonna hold my favorite brand responsible to hold a line on my value and i'm gonna use my money or really coordinate through the fandom the the customer Mm -hmm. community to make a case for it through capital i mean i don't think that it's we're obviously if one person holds a belief like that that nobody else shares they're only going to have so many power but i think the point is it's so easy to organize people online at on at scale at this point that if you get a lot of people who are uh who are consumers of that brand uh to the brand, the brand should be responding, right? That's just that's just how the market works, right? Like they they should be responding to those consumers, and it's just that those consumers have an easier way to communicate with them. When we were interacting with a brand at a shelf in a big box retailer, and that was your only interaction with them, so I think it's a it's it is very much in line with the idea of you know stakeholder capitalism, which is also where this idea of brands uh, of values and purpose comes in as well. Um, I, I I think that you know. It's it sounds intimidating, I think, to especially a lot of brands that have been around for a long time. But it's just the new reality of the market, and it is something that everybody is going to have to figure out. And yes, it's easier if you're a new brand that's built up with you know from from the beginning that way. Um, but I think that it's it's every brand can can participate. They just have to figure out what they stand for. Well, with that, I think that's going to wrap up this week's episode of Floor Nine. I mean, Adam, Richard, anything else to add to this conversation? So we talked about Splinter Night and the reinvention of social contest. Last episode, we mentioned the first trend, anyway, economy and uh, gaming needs the world. And the gaming is the world, which is also about the metaverse being developed. Um, all of those trends, some of them are already getting started. Some of them are still uh, yet to emerge into a mainstream trend, but that's what the outlook is for. This year might be the most unclear year of the next five <laughs> years, funny enough, because we're still waiting on the vaccine to roll out and see how we re-emerge into, into society, so to speak. Yep. But the longer trend is set and the tracks are laid and they're pretty clear where things are leading. It's just a question of how fast or how we will get there. Well, that's perfect. I, Richard, I think we're going to end end on that note. So listeners, uh, you can follow along uh, with myself and Adam on Twitter. Uh, I am at T-I-P-P-I-E-R. Adam is at Adam J. Simon. 
Additionally, we'll put a link to our Outlook 2021 in the show notes, and you can also find that on our Medium website. So thank you, everybody. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Floor 9.